does convey a lot about the institution as well as the program and the course and the instructor. There's so many layers. Not only that, as an instructional designer, one of the first things I do is pull up the syllabus when an instructor has a question that has to do with their course or their content. That's a great point. You think about a new faculty member. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word syllabus dates back to the mid-1600s, but the definition we know and love a statement of the subjects covered by a course of instruction dates back to the late 1800s. The oldest example I have seen of what we would call a course syllabus is from an 1817 geology course at the University of Pennsylvania, and it simply listed where the course was to be held, about when the course was going to start, and how long it was going to last, the number of lectures per week, and an outline of topics. Then in 1818, the faculty member added percentages to the outline to show how much of the course would be dedicated to certain topics. Things have certainly changed over the years. When we compare the modern syllabus to the one from 1817, we find that it has grown to become a document that is often between five and nine pages long. However, I do remember one program where the syllabus for their courses were consistently around 100 pages or more. We are often challenged to identify the items that belong in a course syllabus, and the basics of what belongs in the course syllabus is often guided by institutional policy. In our case at ASU, the Academic Affairs Manual, and specifically Policy ACD 304-10. Today, we're going to discuss what elements should be included in a course syllabus, and we will frame our discussion by acknowledging that those syllabi serve three major roles as identified by Parks and Harris. Those roles are the syllabus as a contract, the syllabus as a permanent record, and the syllabus as a learning tool. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Stephen Crawford from Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Today, I'm joined by... Jeanette Senecal. Celia Kutraitiwa. Aaron Kraft. So here we are at the start of the semester. Things are beginning to pick up, and we're now thinking right before classes start, got to get the course syllabus together. So let's talk about that course syllabus, and again, use that framework I, I described here a few moments ago. When we think of a course syllabus as a permanent record of the course, what, what do we include in that syllabus? What's important to have and why? I want to start out with, as a student, I was the one who looked at the syllabus right away as soon as it was made available to me. And I looked at all of the logistical information to help me get ready and organize everything on a calendar, see what types of assignments I was going to have. And so one of the things that I would say is very important on the syllabus is the logistical information. Where is the class going to be done? What are some of those office hours? But for me, personally, I always like to see the course calendar. What subjects are going to be talked about? When are things going to be due? Maybe even how many points are those assessments going to be worth? I agree. And in terms of the learning objectives, although students, perhaps even at the novice level, don't really understand the importance or the role of learning objectives, it still gives them a little bit of insight as far as what's important in the course, some things to think about. And then when they when they go further in the syllabus and they see a list of 
modular level topics or components within the course, then hopefully they'll start to begin to see how those topics relate to the outcomes of the course. I always like seeing the context of the course. For example, the uh, title and rank of the instructor, what department is this class being offered under, and are there any prerequisites? Does this course fit into a larger context or into a larger program? And you know, this is a really important pieces. And, you know, when I think of a course syllabus from the permanent record standpoint, my question is, who's that audience for? Is it for the student or is it for somebody else? And I think this is one of the things that we sometimes forget is that we're not writing the syllabus just for our students. We're writing it to a degree for our college or, you know, the dean's office, because they're going to need it for accreditation purposes. So I think these topics you've hit on is very important. Again, the context of the course, where does it fit in? You know, what are the learning objectives, the course calendar, some of the assignments and, and the criteria? Because I think about it from an accreditation standpoint, if I can't easily, you know, that needs, that document needs to be easily accessible. Another thing that comes to mind that I think that we don't often think about when it comes to course syllabi is transferring of credits. You know, when we talk about how, you know, when a student is transferring, say, from a community college to a university or four-year college, or even transferring from one institution to another, how do you measure a course as being equal or partially equal? And and that's where this document really comes into play because this may be the only artifact that they have to look at. I think you hit on a great point. Um, when I was reading The Purposes of a Syllabus by Parks and Harris, one of the things that I highlighted that they had said was the syllabus is not only a guide to the student, but it is a guide to the instructor. And I feel that as much as, like I said, the for my own experience as a student, it helped me to organize myself. I feel that it also helps to organize an instructor. And when an instructor might be teaching, you know, several courses at the same time, it serves as a guide for them to remember what that course is about and what type of progress they're needing to make through the course. You know, that's a great point because I know when I am working on my own courses, you know, there are elements that I do as I build a course. And so I build tables of the calendar. I build the table of the assignments and, and the point values for different assignments. And often those things just get cut and paste right into the syllabus without any changes because that exact information is key for both myself as being organized, this course is worth X number of points, or these assignments are due on these dates, just as important as it is for the students to know that. And then again, going back to the accreditation and the dean's office point of view, they need to know that, you know, they may want to do a, a review of courses and go, what are, how are our courses being taught? What type of activities are being done? Again, the whole accreditation piece and academic assessment planning those are critical documents for that. It does convey a lot about the institution as well as the program and the course and the instructor. There's so many layers. Not only that, as far as the university goes, but as an instructional designer, one of the first things I do is pull up the syllabus when an instructor has a question that has to do with their course or their content. That's a great point. You think about a new faculty member, often... That's all they have to go off of if they're brand new and they're teaching a course for the first time or they've never or they even if they're not brand new, but they're still teaching a course for the first time. Their question is, well, what was done in the past? What what was done on that? So 
That's a very important piece. And I start thinking about other artifacts, textbook, learning materials. Absolutely. And I've come to learn as I've worked in higher ed over the years that uh, accreditation agencies will use syllabi to ensure that the programs are aligned with their criteria. That's one of the tools that they'll look at. Yeah, I mean, because we have catalog descriptions that say broad things, but, you know, when you think about accreditation and alignment with professional standards, they're going to look at the course learning objectives for that. Yeah, and many, many um, types of science programs now actually will spell that out, that mapping to professional accreditation standards, so that they show the, the very concrete alignment to the pieces that are in that program. And I wasn't joking when I alluded to the 100 plus page syllabus. I, at a, at a former institution, working with a program, their accreditation information, the college made a decision to have almost 20 pages just dedicated to that. Now, I think that might have been a little overkill. I would have put that in, a, in another document and would have linked to it. But because when it, when it gets so, when a syllabus gets too big, people stop reading it. 100 pages, how scholarly. You're really fleshing out that, those details there. Oh, and they had more than that. And we'll talk about that later. I'll, um, but, you know, mm-hmm. so what other elements do you think need to be included? Well, I, I got to say that the idea that these accreditation agencies or even review committees or other institutions for the purposes of uh, credit transfer are going to be referencing these syllabi, it's, uh, to me, it would seem immensely important, the need for a well-thought-out and measurable course objectives and a very detailed description of the course that's very thorough. I think it just uh, emphasizes the need to be very thorough and and detailed when you're writing those out. Good point. Some of those catalog descriptions are very brief, maybe Mm -hmm. just a sentence or two. So having a very, you know, comprehensive but digestible plain language description is is very helpful for students. Mm -hmm. You know, and this brings up a question of using multimedia and other things and you know, I I feel that that because this is a permanent record of the course that we need to keep on file, having a syllabus that is part video and dispersed through a course shell really sets us up for trouble because how do you, I mean, let's face it, unless you can make it a PDF or a Word doc or print it out, it's hard to put it, quote, on file, unquote, and make it available later. I mean, Course shells aren't available forever, whereas these documents, there are retention standards that need to be adhered to. And so I, I, that's something that I think is really important to think about, too. There are some things that technology just cannot replace. <laughs> you know, so I think having that better description in the syllabus is critical, and having a video that explains it even further in the course is important, but would not be part of the syllabus. You know, we talked about some of the other elements. We were talking about some of the assignments in the calendar. A lot of times people like to think of a course syllabus as a learning contract. What What is your thoughts about the contract mindset of a syllabus? Can I start? I think that it's a good place to potentially share expectations and norms with students so that there's an understood and clear manner of participating and acting and and being a member of that episode, that episode of that course in that time place with that group of students. However, it's also on the downside, a place where sometimes it turns into the manifesto of every single unfortunate thing that has ever occurred in the course or the instructor's (laughs) experience up to date. And then it turns into perhaps a hundred page thou shalt not. How detailed is too detailed when it comes to a syllabus? Indeed. All right. 
How detailed is too detailed? Uh, that was interesting to me. I hadn't really thought about the syllabus as a learning tool. But just like Jeanette said, you know, sometimes there is a little too much information because the instructor might be pulling from prior experiences. I do find that there is some place in the syllabus to have resources that might help out, um, campus resources for assistance. And maybe that's okay. That's a little more broad in general, but putting in a little more of the detailed information just to avoid, let's say, prior situations, I would see that more having a place in the course itself versus the syllabus. Right. Well, if the instructor is maybe jaded and that's why it's so long, I imagine it's because they've had grievances filed against them in the past. Students are arguing for their grades. I know now, after having worked here at the College of Nursing and Health Innovation, that students fight for every single point. And if they feel that they've been given a grade unfairly, they will go to the dean. They will step it up. They will escalate, right? So I imagine that you're looking at the, the syllabus as a contract. It's an agreement. And it also helps to mediate the, those grievances. So it needs to be detailed. So the, the instructor can say, no, I have it right here. This is allowed or this isn't allowed or this is my policy on, on late work, for example. And I imagine that's probably a part of the reason why these syllabi get so long. You know, it's it's really interesting as, as I've watched, you know, again, I'll go back to that 1817 example. It wasn't even a half page. And now today it's much longer. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with Regardless of what we feel about a, a syllabus being a contract, a legal contract, our opinion doesn't matter on that topic. It's the court's opinion, and the last place we ever want to be is in front of a judge asking them for their opinion. Um, so we really need to be careful with what we put in the syllabus. We need to ensure that we include the appropriate information. I think linking to the student handbook is an important piece to do because we don't need to reiterate the entire student handbook. That's just... It creates potential for error because you may misstate a policy. But linking to it and saying this course is governed by it is a great way to, to explicitly say that's what we're doing here and a student should know. Talking about what does academic integrity mean? Talking about, you know, what is your responsibility if you need accommodation for a disability uh, of some sort? While the instructor should not be held responsible for making that decision on what is considered an appropriate accommodation, putting it explicitly in the syllabus, the student needs to go to the Disability Resource Center for that so that it can be enacted from that point on, then that is exactly what is supposed to happen. It's important to let them know these things because you may have a student who just didn't know that those resources were there and that that's what they should do because they're a first-generation college student. So they don't know what is and what is not appropriate. So you need to have at least some of the basics in there. So what are your thoughts on having students sign that they've read and acknowledged the syllabus? I've seen that there are some instructors who do that. How much is it okay to just assume that they've they've looked at this? Personally, I love it. I think it's great. You're holding them accountable, right? I've seen in online courses, for example, that there's a syllabus quiz, and it's usually pretty pretty simple, pretty straightforward, 10 questions, covers the main points. But even if the student just goes and clicks C on each one, they're at least, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, I, I, I did look at the syllabus, right? 
Though I think you have to pass it <laughs> in order to get the credit or to be able to move forward. But um, I, I think it's a great idea to hold them accountable. And, you know, that's the thing is that preparing a proper syllabus is only half the battle. The other half is getting the students to, for one, you know, one, locate it and two, actually reference it when necessary. And that's tricky. I know that here at ASU, the Mary Lou Fulton School uh, Teachers College in their online courses, some of them, what they do is instead of having due dates listed, they'll just say, please see the syllabus. And I thought that, you know, that's a pretty clever way to get the students, you know, to funnel them towards the syllabus. You know, there's a couple of ways on that. In an online course, I have done this before where you had to get a perfect score on the syllabus quiz. Yes, you could take it as many times as you want. But until you had a perfect score, the rest of the course content was invisible to you. And, and I think for some students, that's important. I think in the early days of online learning, that was definitely important because unless you were highly motivated, you may not know certain things. You may not realize, oh, this course is not self-paced, or maybe it is, uh, whatever. You know, and you'd have questions that would hit on those key things. I'm seeing more and more this is popping up in hybrid and face-to-face -face courses where students are to acknowledge certain key policies that they are aware of and that they and they're asked a substantial question about it. And this gets into the whole academic integrity issue of, you know, are, what do you know about the syllabus and our policies? And so when you break the rules, I can hold you accountable because I have this quiz. That's where I start getting uncomfortable because, again, there's an assumption that students are reading the syllabus. I think we can assume that they're not in many cases. And because we see the questions that come up often in classes, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, there's now a cottage industry around T-shirts to say it's in the syllabus. And, and yeah. we've seen that. Yeah, I like the idea of accountability and using techniques to promote students' use of the syllabus. But at the same time, it's still not going to guarantee comprehension, even in a well-intentioned student, or their ability to use the information to do what they need to do. So sometimes there still has to be another layer um, bringing those bits and pieces that are part of it as a learning contract, bring it into the class. And by that, I mean physically in your face-to-face -face or implementing them into an exercise online, but trying to find ways to, again, reinforce at waypoints, particularly the vital information over and over with consistency. I mean, I remember when I was an undergraduate, there were certain faculty who would read the syllabus word for word from the beginning to the end during the entire class. And they did it because students weren't reading the syllabus and weren't following directions. Is that the right way to respond? I don't know. I think unscientifically, a lot of students believe all of the syllabuses from their course are the same institutionally. There's really no difference other than a course calendar and a description. That's one challenge that we have to be aware of and try to help instructors potentially address. Which, which then goes to the design of the document itself. Make the course-specific stuff in the front and the templates stuff in the back that's boilerplate from all the university policies. I feel like in a way the course syllabus and this could lend itself to the idea of uh, the syllabus as a learning tool, but it makes me think about backwards course design and starting with the end in mind, you developing the syllabus with all of your policies, your descriptions, your outlines, and then you're building your course from there, which is adding in the content and adding all those pieces in. I got to say, as a, as a sort of side note, I've worked as an instructional designer now with uh, online course design for like four years. And um, I found that the one thing I missed when I was helping faculty to build their online courses was putting in 
verbiage on what if you had technical difficulties, maybe while taking a test, for example. That seems to be when the most technical difficulties occur, right? Uh, so I like what a faculty at the previous school that I worked for did, and I have borrowed her uh, method ever since, but she basically would have the student screen cap the, the error. She would have them send, she wanted the student to email them the ticket number that they sent to support, so it shows that they contacted support. She gets to see visually the image of the error, and you know between those two can help triangulate that there was actually an issue, right? Um, but I know that when I first started in this field, I, I overlooked that, and it's one that I, I think came back to bite me and the instructor that I was helping out a few times. You know, and I think that's part of, that's part of the problem why I think syllabi have gotten as big as they have because of the fact that there's there's a mistrust. We're, we have been trained to write syllabi as legal documents that are ironclad agreements that are in favor of the faculty. Um, we've learned to put in statements in there, oh, subject to change at whim of instructor um, so that we have our legal cover if we make changes and the students can't complain. But at the same time, there are important things that have to be there. And, and, and the tone and the tenor of course syllabi, I think, is an issue that I want to explore here in a moment. But before I do, you know, what I've seen more and more occurring lately is the creation of syllabi templates. I mean, we have our own here that have that, those boilerplates of all those policies, including the Title IX policy, academic integrity, accreditation information, all those types of things. Fortunately, most of that stuff is in the back. We even have in there how many hours you should spend per week in this course. So when a student says, oh my goodness, I spent, you know, it took me 20 hours to, to work on this assignment this week, and that's all I did this week for this course. The expectation was, well, yeah, this is a three credit hour course over seven and a half weeks. That's actually about average of where you should be, not too far outside the norm. So there is some information in there. Um, but I've seen where institutions have even gone so far as to automate the syllabus where you plug in your course information in a website and you plug in your calendar, you plug in your learning objectives, and it just builds it automatically on the spot. And so the rest automatically occur. When that occurs, even if you use the template, you have to enforce those policies you know, consistently. And I think that's another thing. If a faculty member is, is using a, a boilerplate or automated system and they don't know what the policies themselves are because they haven't read the syllabus and those boring policies that none of us like, what are the chances the students are? And then if something happens, what happens next? And, that, and I want to move away from the if something happens discussion. And let's talk more about the learner. Let's talk, how can we make the syllabus more friendly to the learner so it's more about what they can do as opposed to what will be done to them? I'll share an example I read about that I thought was quite clever. I want to say it was a humanities course, and I'll have to dig up the reference, but the instructor actually published the final exam in the syllabus. And so day one, you know, of course, they come, they come to class and they're flipping through the syllabus and they're like, um, did you forget something? You, like, the final is here. And the instructor's like, yeah, well, now you know where you're going to end up. This is not just about learning outcomes. This is what you're going to demonstrate to me at the end of the course. So you better start working on it right now. And as a means to get them thinking about it in a very concrete way, that was pretty effective. That was, that was the context for the outcomes there. But it also helped to promote them as being reflective of their own learning throughout the entire semester, which I really liked. Am I learning this? You go to the next question. Did I get this down yet? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I wish my instructors did that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 
So yeah, now you're talking about a syllabus as a learning tool where it's a learner-centered experience where the learner can reference it and basically become empowered. They can help to evaluate and monitor their own performance throughout the term of the course. Yeah, and I think that's something that, again, we've, we, being higher education, have often been more concerned about the syllabus as the permanent record, the, the legal contract of stuff, but we forgot the other side of the equation, the student. And so I think, you know, when we go in there and we use language that can help, and, you know, the course calendar, you can argue, is, is kind of helping the learner understand and pace themselves. But if all we have is due dates and we don't have the intermediary dates of where you should be in certain projects, that's not but so helpful. I mean, if we tell you, oh, your course project is due in six weeks, but we don't tell them, you know, you really should be at this point and then at, at the end of the first week and this point at the end of the third week and this point in the fifth week. We're not pacing them through mm. what they should expect on that course calendar to be successful. Which is particularly useful in an online course, might I say, to have a I think it's like useful in any course, not just online. I mean, I think even in face-to-face, -face, yeah. Yeah, but you get to go and see the instructor and they can sort of tell you, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing today. But if you're online, you don't necessarily get that communication. Oh, you definitely don't get it online, but I think it doesn't sink in or isn't communicated off enough in face-to-face -face either. It's a great artifact to have. I always like to see when they're putting in the materials and resources, when they list optional pieces, because then that allows students to take more ownership of their learning outside of even the classroom and develop their knowledge a little further, but also to see what types of viewpoints their instructor might have. I, I think that shows the syllabus as a learning tool when you can add extra resources into it. Make it flexible. But see, what I don't understand is negotiating a syllabus. I don't think I've ever been in a course where I negotiated the syllabus outside of maybe in my graduate program, uh, most of the courses were project-based. And we could choose the topic within defined parameters. And we could choose the medium of how we wanted to present the project. But outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of negotiation. I'm, I'm curious if any of you have experience with this it's, idea of negotiating a syllabus. It's a interesting topic or idea. I have never even... Yeah, the only place I can think of would be a purely constructivist course. Mm. A capstone, for an example, where you have these broad goals that you have your institutional requirements. This course will end on X day. You have to have a, de a, a delivery of something that shows you've mastered the course goals that were... And I'm using the word goals and not objectives on purpose. And then after that, it's totally negotiated. Yeah, I think the closest I've seen is a course that utilized um, like a learning buffet model where students could customize some of the topics and projects to meet their programmatic needs. And they would have to literally construct the contract with the faculty member based on the buffet that was in the syllabus so that in the first week, that was basically their first assignment that they, they had to articulate what they were going to do, when they were going to do, and how they were going to accomplish it. I see. So it's not terribly common then. It's not just me because I, I haven't actually seen an example of this. I, I've read about it, but I've never actually seen it. So. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you look at the higher education environment, we have all these learning objectives and we have accreditation and we have to show that our assessments are aligning with our learning objectives that align with our accreditation. And, and you just kind of go down that list. We don't often have that. You know, again, I, I think the only place I can think of is undergraduate or graduate level capstones, you know, where you've already gained enough knowledge, though I'm sure there are others who will argue that 
you could do a constructivist approach and negotiate a syllabus for any course at any level. It's just not one I'm comfortable enough to, to try. Can we negotiate the policy on plagiarism, for example? <laughs> you know, that's a, you know, that's a funny thing you mentioned. And it's one of the reasons why I, I advocate having your definition of academic integrity in the course syllabus. I mean, we can talk more about academic integrity later, but the idea of self-plagiarism and this college is something of high concern because we, you know, if you turn in an assignment for one course and it maps close enough to another course that you just turned in without changing, that's considered self-plagiarism. I come from a computer science background. My instructors call that smart. You know, if I wrote a piece of code for one course, the idea was I would never write that code ever again in my life unless the operating system changed or the programming language changed. So I would re or do code reuse. It was highly encouraged. You know, as long as it was your code to start with. <laughs> and I never heard of self-plagiarism until I came to ASU, so it must be a focus here. I don't think it's just here. I think it's something that's been on the rise more and more over the last couple of years. I know the APA has been talking more about it in their style guides. I think maybe there were different terminologies around that idea for a long time. Yeah. Double dipping is another one that you'll hear used as opposed to self-plagiarism. Isn't that when you dip the chip into the sauce, take a bite, and dip it back in? <laughs> Just edit that. <laughs> so, you know, another thing to think about from a syllabus standpoint is as a marketing tool. ASU here has and encourages faculty to upload their, their syllabi ahead of time in my ASU. When I think back to my career many years ago, you know, we're talking like 1998, we used to upload the course syllabi for all online courses. So students would have that a week or two before the semester even started to look at. And I think that's an important thing to do to have all that information up front. Again, to talk about the course calendar and the expectations. If a student registered for several courses and realized there were major projects all due the same week, they may choose to take a course a different semester if they had that information ahead of time as opposed to getting stuck with it and then doing horribly in all their courses. Yeah, for um, the general studies kind of perspective, I think it is quite helpful because, again, the title and the catalog description may be so minimal, students may not have a good way to appraise whether or not it would be a good fit for them and their learning goals. Oh, I think it would be of uh, it would be a huge convenience to be able to sit there and go through the courses that you want to take, read each one in detail, and say, oh, yeah, I like the philosophy here, or I like what's going on in this course or oh, I don't like this one, the schedule is going to throw me off. Or no, It's very convenient to be able to just access that, especially online. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the idea that if you know that you've got something going on because you, you're going to, you know, you're taking online courses and you go, I, that week is going to be a bad week and then you realize, oh, this course has major things due, maybe I shouldn't take it this term. Or again, if you, even with face-to-face -face courses, just so you can map your schedule out better to know what's mapping against what. So final question I have for you is when referring to the course syllabus in the plural format, which word do you use? Syllabi or syllabuses or buses or however you want to say it? I'm a fan of syllabi. Oh, no. Okay. And I used to be an English teacher. I thought syllabi was the plural, but it's the singular. huh? See, I use both as evidenced from an earlier comment, but I think in general, it, it's more fun to say syllabi. I think it is more fun to say syllabi, and I'm happy to say that the Oxford English Dictionary acknowledges both as appropriately uh, appropriate forms of plural for syllabus for the word syllabus. 
Syllabuses just sounds so silly. It, syllabuses. syllabuses sounds like there's going to be a caravan of buses coming by. <laughs> it reminds me of the word syllabub, and isn't that the kind of alcoholic drink? It can be. Cheers. <laughs> oh, just asking. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Jeanette, Cillian, and Aaron, for this great discussion on what can admittedly be a tedious topic. And I hope you, our listeners, found this as interesting as we have, and I invite you to share with us things that you include in your course syllabus. I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of other topics related to the course syllabi that we could have expanded our discussion to include. These topics include tone and style of a syllabus. It includes uh, designing a learner-focused syllabus and trends to create a graphical syllabus. If you're interested in hearing more about these topics, let us know. Finally, I want to thank Ricardo Leon, who is the man behind the curtain, who turns the knobs and presses the buttons to ensure that you have an amazing podcast to listen to. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. And in our case, that is ASU's Academic Affairs Manual, and specifically the ACDC. I do that so many times. Okay, let me try that whole sentence again.